You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to c3sandiego.com. So I, we are in our paranormal series, which is always so fun around Halloween and October and things like that. But um, I'm going to share at length today. I'm going to share several stories about some of my history and past and things I used to be involved in. And uh, But so I want to just let you know that I'm going to share lots of stories, but it all has a point. Okay, so I'm not just randomly sharing things to share. It'll all come together at the end. And for those of you who are super Christians, I will read scriptures towards the latter part. So if, if, I've, if I've, too much time has gone by and you're starting to get really anxious, if we're a church that believes in the Bible, yes, yes, we do. I will share from the Bible. I promise. So just relax, relax. Um, so the title of my message this, this morning is Lawbreakers. Lawbreakers. And so, okay, so, uh, you know, we, we were just talking about, we just had Cherish Conference a few weeks ago. How incredible, 1,800 women, downtown San Diego, lives changed, best time ever. And uh, so, but we're driving downtown, and I was driving, you know, Pastor Ashley to our hotel. I'm like, oh, that's the Hall of Justice. Like, that's where I used to work. And, and then we, every day we'd walk to conference, and we walked by the, the jail, the San Diego jail. I'm like, oh, that's where I used to interview my defendants. And, and so then Pastor Ann was like, Victoria. Why has none of these stories ever come out? I'm like, I don't know. It's just, it just seems like a lifetime ago, like so long ago. It's like I completely forgot that there was a side of my life before ministry. And so, like it's been said, so for I was a deputy probation officer for seven years um, working in the violent crimes unit before I was a pastor. And so... Um, Primarily, my caseload consisted of criminals that had committed violent sex crimes. Um, and then I had, you know, your occasional homicide and domestic violence cases. And then you know, there was like the day-to-day, the week-to-week, you know, the vehicle theft, which is VC10851, or your possession of a controlled substance, HS11350A. And you have all these, you know, fraud, every, just all the day-to-day stuff. But for the most part, I worked with violent crimes. And so, and, and I, before I continue, I have to say this, and it will kind of sound funny, but I'm not being super funny, is if you are on my caseload, or if you are currently on a caseload, like, please don't leave or feel embarrassed. And I say that because, I mean, Pastor John's still here, for gosh sakes. No. <laughs> Teasing. He wasn't on my caseload. I did meet him when I was a probation officer, but... Um, no, uh, at one of our other campuses, I actually just randomly threw out that I was a probation officer, and one of the gentlemen in the, in the crowd actually recognized me and realized he was, had been on my caseload, and he felt so ashamed. He's like, I have to leave. So he told Pastor and Leanne, like, I have to leave. Like, I don't want her to recognize me. And they were like, no, 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 she'd be so happy you were here. Like, don't leave. And, but they couldn't convince him, and it just, like, broke my heart when I found out that that happened. So I'm happy that you're here if you were ever on my caseload. And, you know... I think we have to come to understand that our stories are our stories. We can't change them. And our testimony is our testimony. And it shouldn't be a testimony that brings shame or condemnation. It's a testimony of the powerful transformation of our God. It's so good. You know, so, and I'm going to share really transparently today too. So you're in good company. Don't worry, you know. Um, But before I fully get into my message, I'm going to just kind of explain what I used to do because a lot of people, including myself, before I was in um, this profession, I didn't even know this branch of law enforcement existed. And so I was hired as a deputy probation officer and then... um, 
they assigned me to investigations and I'd never like really heard of that part of the field. And so this is what it is. Okay, so a defendant is either convicted or they plead guilty to a crime. So they've been convicted, but they haven't yet been sentenced. They haven't been punished. So they've been convicted, but before their sentence, the court orders a probation officer to do an investigation report. And so they send the defendant to us. If they are out on bail, they came into the Hall of Justice where we would conduct our interviews. Um, most of my... Um, caseload, the, the defendants would be in jail. And so I would have to travel to different jails throughout San Diego County. And so, and conduct the interview there. And depending on what jail they were in, depended on what type of environment you were in when you were interviewing the defendant. So down at the South Bay Jail, they actually, I had read the you know police reports and I was walking in and I knew this um, very large gentleman was, had been convicted multiple times of domestic violence and he was in jail again for domestic violence. And so I was a little bit surprised knowing his violent history that the interview room they gave me was just a little tiny desk like in this room off to the side to interview this defendant. And so me having a little bit of lack of discretion when I'm in my early 20s, doing this, like I'm quite aggressive and feisty. And so when I caught him in a lie, I'm like, uh, your story's not adding up. And I was just like in his grill, you know, like, and then I was realized, I didn't realize how mad I was making him by pressing on him, like confronting him. So at one point he just got really angry, stood up and like shoved the desk at me. And I'm like, oh, I'm gonna push the button. <laughs> so. Here's the thing, I pushed the button, but it took the officer three minutes to get to me. And I'm like, I could have been dead three times over. <laughs> then, but then but I realized it could take some time for them to get to me. So I really learned how to have confrontation and what balances to use, how far I could go, how far I could not, how to read people. Like, so it was, it was very interesting. Um, and then another case I remembered, um, down at the San Diego jail. He was in um, the maximum security and I was reading up on all the police reports, all that, so again, I knew what I was walking into. And I was reading police reports and he had been arrested. He was, he, this gentleman who unfortunately was not fully healthy in his mind um, was wearing a yellow polka dotted dress downtown and every time someone walked by him, he would hit them with a two by four. And so, yeah, so he was arrested for that, but then what they realized is he was the same gentleman that stole the yellow polka dot address from a boutique, and before he stole it, the devil told him, oh wait, no one, got, no one died, just really fast. Okay, so, um, so, it, so before he stole the dress and exited the store, the devil told him to go stab the retail clerk in the head with the scissors across the desk, and so he did. And she was okay, she ended up being okay, which is amazing. But, so I'm walking into this interview going, this is gonna be interesting, you know, and he's just sharing lots of things with me. Going well, going well. And, uh, and, then, and then out of nowhere, he just said, um, can you hold on a second? And I said, absolutely. He stood up, he turned around, but when he had turned back around, he had pulled down his pants and he wagged his little willy at me. And then he just sat down and he goes, don't tell anyone, please don't tell anyone. Will you not tell anyone? And I go, mm, yeah, I'm gonna have to tell someone. And I was like, and I'm also gonna have to end the interview now. He's like, yeah, I understand. And so the friendly little button that I got so familiar with, I pushed it again. And then they had let me know, funnily enough, that uh, there was just a fight that broke out in the jail. And so now we were on shut or lockdown and it would be up to an hour before they could let me out of the room. And so that was fun. So we made small talk for an hour 
And apparently he married Queen Latifah on the beach on some remote island, and he had millions of dollars in his bank account and everything else. It was really fun. So, 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 so many stories. I have so many stories. I did this for seven years. I had three cases a week for seven years. And many of my cases I can't ever share from the pulpit because I would give you nightmares for the rest of your life. I actually had to get some stuff prayed off me when I got out of that field because it was just so traumatizing. But so anyway, so that's what, that was the first part of my job in the investigation report was to um, interview the defendant, okay? And so in this report, there was a summary of the offense. So I would get the district attorney's files, the police reports, um, jury, you know, transcripts, all of that. And I would have to summarize very cleanly, shortly, and nicely uh, the crime. And then I would interview the defendant, get their perspective on the crime, why they did it, any confession or whatever they wanted to say. I would also call any victims in the case or the victim's family and find out if they wanted to make a statement in court. And then I would ask them about their personal history, where they grew up, schooling, family, blah, 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 and just lots of history. And because the judge kind of wanted to know, like, what are we dealing with here? And then I would investigate their criminal history. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But Basically, what I would do is make a recommendation for their sentencing. And so based on all of the information I gathered, the crime, their personal history, their criminal history, and then sentencing laws, um, I would determine how long they should spend in prison for the crime. And so, mo and why I feel comfortable talking about this, because most of my cases went away from like 10, 20, 30 years to life. And then I had my most severe case, they went away for 294 years to life. And so that kind of tells you just some of the severity of the, the people that I was working with and the type of crimes they were committing. You know, and I was retelling some of the girls at Cherish, like, because it all got, like, oh, my, walking by the jail, walking by hall, and just is all kind of like flooding back. And I just remembered how crafty I had to become as a probation officer, how sneaky I had to be to get the information that I needed to get. And, uh, so as an investigator, you know, when a, someone's been convicted or pled guilty of a crime, the judge and the defense attorneys and all them, they kind of only know, they're really just familiarizing themselves with what they just did, their current crime. They don't necessarily know the history of this person. And so when they send them to me, it's my job to dig up any criminal history that this person could possibly have. And so the first thing you would always do is you would run their CII FBI rap sheet. And depending on their level of criminal history, it'd be one page long or it could be 40 pages long. And in the rap sheet, you would find it, on the left side, there's the arrest and then what they were um, charged with and then what they were convicted of and then their punishment. And so you could kind of get a full scope of what their criminal history was. But unfortunately, not every state is very thorough or is caught up to date with inputting information into the CI and FBI system. And so you would see these like horrendous arrests and charges, but then you wouldn't see any conviction or punishment. And you're like, did they do it or, or did they get off? Like, I have no idea. And so that's where I, as an investigator, had a lot of work to do. So I, it was like a needle in a haystack. You just start calling these cities and these towns based on these arrest or police reports, and you're just calling, calling, calling district attorney's offices, judges. I mean, you're just trying to, like, put all the pieces together. Because if I couldn't put all the pieces together, I couldn't add it into my criminal history. And so I needed to make sure the judge knew the whole scope. And so a lot of times I could find the information, but a lot of times I couldn't. And so this is where the craftiness came in as a probation officer. So I'd be in the interview, you know, with the defendant and, you know, I'd be asking him where they grew up, where they lived, looking for like missing years that they happened to leave out, things like that. And then they'd make statements like, oh, I moved to Kansas. And I was like, oh, Kansas, 
Yes. Oh, I, yeah, I saw that you were arrested in Kansas. Would you like to tell me about the incident you were arrested for? They have no idea what I know and what I don't know. So they're like, oh, they're more than happy to give you their perspective on what they were convicted of and what they were sentenced to. And so I was just, if I could get them to talk, I am winning. Like, I am winning. So they're, they're, they're telling me that how long they spent in jail, all these things. They're just confessing, confessing, confessing. So it was the best thing if I could be crafty to try to get, to get them to share about their past. And that way, I could actually put it into my report based on the defendant's convic- or confession, not necessarily what I knew. And so, and why this is so important, I'm sure some of you, depending on where you're at personally, are like, wow, that's mean. <laughs> like, that's sneaky. Wow. But... That was my job as the investigator. And so, and why this is so important is because I had a gentleman on my caseload. He was in his late 20s. He had just moved to San Diego and committed a pretty serious assault. Um, He was charged with assault. And so the judge was under the impression this was his first offense. They alluded to the fact of a very mitigating sentence, like kind of like a slap on the wrist type of thing. But in my... uh, my discovery and digging a little bit, I actually found out he had a sealed juvenile record. This was his first offense as an adult. And so I did some digging, but he thinks it's sealed and it's never gonna come up again, but I know how to get my job done. (laughs) And so what I ended up finding out was that he actually committed murder as a young teenager and spent many years in prison and was released at the age of 25 for that murder. So can you imagine if I didn't find that out? So now this isn't just a first slap on the wrist in San Diego with an assault. We're actually dealing with someone who had murdered someone and is now there's a a pattern of violent behavior. So if I didn't do my job to uncover, to expose, to, to bring to the light every sin, every transgression, this guy could have got off and a violent person could be out on the street waiting for his next victim. And my job as an investigator was to do this for justice. But the devil actually does this with us to bring guilt and condemnation, doesn't he? So with your criminal records, with this gentleman, he was very surprised when I found all of this out and was able to bring it to the light. Because when you get in, in the criminal justice system, you can get things expunged, erased, slash sealed. They all kind of terms you can use interchangeably. And so people think they, they go away. And to the general public, they do. Your employer, a private investigator, a creditor can't see those things if they've been sealed, expunged, or erased from your record. However, in the criminal record still exists within the context of the criminal justice system. So in the eyes of the law, your past sins are never fully erased and can used against you if you commit another crime. So in the eyes of the law, your past sins are never fully erased. So as believers, is it not incredible that in the kingdom, we are no longer under the law, but under grace. And we can actually be fully free of our prior sins and things that we have committed. Amen? Romans 6:14. Well, but first I want to say this, though. We cannot ever escape the natural consequences for our sins. Of course, we'll have to serve the time and, and all of that, but it, that's in the natural law. Romans 6:14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not 
under the law, but under grace. So I want to propose today that as believers, we are actually law breakers. We break the power of the law and the punishment that the law carries over our lives. Jesus Christ broke the power and punishment of the law in our lives. Because the law says the wages of our sin is death. We're all deserving of death when we sin, but Jesus broke the power of uh, that over our lives. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, says, For God made Jesus Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Jesus Christ. So how did he do that? How did he make us right with God? He went to the cross. He went to the cross. Isaiah 53.3-5 I'll actually pick up in verse four, actually. It says, yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrow that weighed him down. He, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. And I was just thinking about this scripture this morning, and that old song came into my mind. It says, It was my sin that held him there Until it was accomplished His dying breath has brought me life I know that it is finished It was our sin. It was our sin that held him on the cross and his dying breath gave us life and gave us us freedom from sin, shame, and condemnation. Jesus didn't just sacrifice his life and pay that high of price just so that we could be forgiven. He actually wants us to feel forgiven. He wants us to feel forgiven, to be unashamed, to feel his love, to feel freedom, to feel the full aspect of his grace. Hebrews 8, 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. He will remember them no more. How incredible that our heavenly father remembers our sins no more, completely erased from his memory. And even though we may have served the time and paid the consequences and understood that Jesus Christ has paid for our sin in full, isn't it just like the enemy to never let us forget our shortcomings, our failures, our mistakes? Gosh, we know it in our head, don't we? We know it. We know it in our head that we've been forgiven. We read about it in the Bible. We hear about it on a Sunday. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Well, why don't I feel it? Why do I still struggle with feelings of unworthiness or shame or guilt or condemnation or embarrassment? Like, why do I still feel it if I'm supposed to be forgiven? And I'll tell you why. Because one of the devil's names is the accuser of the brethren. 
Revelations 12.10 says, the accuser of the brethren, he accuses us before our God day and night. Day and night, our accuser stands before our heavenly father with our criminal rap sheet in hand, standing in the courtroom of heaven, showing it to our heavenly father, saying, see, see what they've done, the lies they've told, the infidelity, the divorce, the rage, the anger, the mistakes in their parenting, the failed businesses, the failed finances. Look at everything they have done continually, day and night, trying to remind us of our past. And in the courtroom of heaven, our heavenly father says, I can't even see it because it's covered by the blood of my son, Jesus. It is completely covered in the blood, illegible. You cannot even read it. There is no trace of the record of wrongs against you because it is covered by the blood of Jesus. So that is how we overcome the accuser, the overcome the shame, the guilt and condemnation. We remind the devil of the blood of Jesus who covers us. As far as the east is from the west, so your sins have been forgiven you. Psalm 103.12. And in church, I think we, we do, we talk a lot about forgiveness. We talk a lot about it. And I think sometimes it, become a ter- it becomes a term, we forget the weight that it actually carries. And we can use the term really casually and flippantly, like a part of our everyday language. We're in our paranormal series. And you know me, like, I love busting devils. Like, I love it. I love deliverance. I love freedom. I love all of it. And so it was hard for me to not go in that direction because any day I can bust the devil, I am happy to do it. However, I just kept getting stuck on this message because I think it is the most powerful and supernatural thing to think about the fact that our slate can be wiped clean. That we can have a fresh start. That our Heavenly Father keeps no records of wrongs. And that His mercies are new for us every morning. And that nothing can separate us from His love. That is so paranormal. That is so supernatural. And so before I share the next bit about what I'm going to share with you. You know, God, like I said, he had already spoken to me about doing this particular message in our paranormal series. And I had no idea like how real it was going to get for me personally, even over the last two weeks, really understanding how powerful his blood and his love is. So I'm going to share something that's really fresh, okay, and quite vulnerable. And and there's a very good chance I'll be emotional. <laughs> and I struggled with it because I was like, oh, I don't want to be emotional. But I was, then I thought to myself, I've been saved for 37 years. I've been a pastor for almost a decade. I am surrounded in this beautiful little bubble by the, with the most amazing lead pastors on the planet. We have the privilege of sitting under some of the most powerful guest ministry. I live in this beautiful little bubble Yet I had some things going on deep inside of me that I had no idea was happening. And so I thought to myself, if I can live with this area of my life so broken, living within the bubble I've lived in for so long, could it be that some of us in this room are also struggling with the same thing? And so I thought to myself, I can handle a little bit of emotion 
to be able to share a message that might set you free from the same thing that I've been being set free from. So Mike Connell has just been through our church for the last three weeks. Powerful minister, and I'm so sorry if you missed his ministry, but you can still find his messages on our, on our um, podcast. But he's a powerful minister in healing, inner healing and freedom and deliverance. And we had the honor to have him at our staff retreat. And I heard numerous messages at staff retreat. And then he preached twice at Central Campus. And then John and I were able to have a private session with him as well. And so all of these messages like started to trigger some things in me. Like even at staff retreat, I'm getting triggered emotionally. I'm like, why am I getting emotional? And then I, and I realized that there's emotion, there's actually something under it that's not healed. And so I realized that all of, I was being triggered by all these things, but then the, the practical brain in me was like, girl, you're gonna have to like stay messed up for a couple more weeks because you don't got time for this. Cherished conference is coming. So, so I thought, hey, I've been, I've been messed up for a few decades. A few more weeks isn't gonna kill anybody. Because I was like, I don't, I don't have time to like work through all this emotion. Like I gotta preach, a con- I gotta do conference, I mean, you know. But then after conference, game on, you know. And so we had met with Pastor Mike Connell and I started to just share with him a little bit about my life and he already knew some, but one of the things that came up was that I was just telling him, like, I love my life. Like I love my church, I love the people I get to do life with. I love my husband, my family, my house. I just love it all. But there's a part of me that feels like really numb. And, and, I, and I realized this when I spend time with the people that I love and I'm watching them experience what we're all experiencing together through their eyes. And the excitement they feel, the love they feel, the passion they feel, I was just like, I don't, I can't even muster those emotions up. Like, I'm numb and I don't know why. And I never wanted to say, oh, I'm depressed. But there was this numbness. I remember it really was clear to me when I was traveling to Hawaii with a few of the pastors and leaders from our church and they're sitting there having a margarita and looking out at Hawaiian waters. And I mean, it was stunning. Like sunset, the whole shebang. And they're just like saying how amazing, isn't it amazing? I'm like, yeah, it's totally awesome. I couldn't, I couldn't even muster up the emotions that I saw them experiencing. And I knew like something's not right. And so, so then, I, then he started to ask about my past. And, you know, I shared just a little bit how, you know, my dad had kind of walked out on our family when I was in eighth grade, just going into those teenage years. And, and, and that just kind of set me on a little bit of a trajectory of a downward spiral. And I became that classic case of the girl looking for love in all the wrong places. And because you don't date your potential, you date your self-esteem. I found myself in relationships that were horribly destructive, dating people that were addicted to drugs and alcohol, every single one of them physically and emotionally abusive. But I always stayed. I always stayed. And the only way those relationships ended was when they were ready to discard me to move on to the next person. And I began to share, and here's the thing, I had dealt with a lot of the forgiveness, like I had released a lot of forgiveness over my lifetime. 
and my Christian journey to all of those people that had wounded me. But Pastor Mike said, sweetie, like you have a broken heart. And he said, because you have suffered such severe rejection over and over again, as a young person, you had to put up walls to protect yourself from the pain. He said, that's understandable. But what, you, what happens to you when you put up walls around your heart to protect yourself, you also put up walls around your heart to fully feel. And so he said, that is why you have an inability to have a healthy flow of intimacy in any type of relationship, including your relationship with God. And he said, there's some things, Becky, that you've buried alive that you need to dig up now. There's things buried alive that you've got to dig up and you've got to allow God to heal you so you can be fully restored and put to death those oppressive spirits of rejection that have plagued your life for so long, making you numb. And it all made sense as he was talking, but then I thought I was kind of surprised in one sense because I said I've done a lot of the forgiveness work. Um, and I, I, it was weird for me to even think that I had a spirit, a precious spirit of rejection in my life because I'm quite confident, to be honest, and I'm quite secure in myself. So it was kind of a weird dichotomy, but I knew it was triggered. It's like there's something here. So he gave me some homework, and I want to share with you what that was because I think this story isn't just for me. <laughs> I think this is a story that all of us can learn from. So... You know, because often deep things in our hearts aren't just resolved with some simple prayer. It's a journey that we walk out of healing with the Holy Spirit. And so Pastor Mike was telling me that I really needed to sit down and start journaling. If I'm being honest, I really struggle with journaling because I'm a very efficient person and I can talk a lot faster than I can write. And so I was like, it's not very efficient to slow down enough to write things out and not type, write it. Like who even writes anymore? But anyways, I'm like, okay, okay, I'll be obedient. But, but like, wow, wow, wow. The stuff that started to come up as I started journaling, if I only started doing this a few decades ago. So he said, you need to sit down and think past or think through all your past experiences and you need to start journaling about it. And as you journal, pay attention to the emotions that rise up as you're writing those things down on paper. And as those emotions rise up, you sit in the presence of the Holy Spirit, you feel what you need to feel, you allow yourself to feel the pain that you've buried, and then let the Holy Spirit bring healing and bring the truth and then he says you need to repent of the things you need to repent for and then release forgiveness to people that you need to forgive. And it was only day two of my journaling that lots of things came to the surface. Day one, I dealt with my daddy issues. It was like daddy issues done and dusted in one day, boom. So I was like under this impression it was gonna be like a person a day. This is gonna be so fast. It's gonna be awesome. So day two, I sat down thinking I was going to move on to all these people that had wounded me and rejected me in my past. But it was like, but I couldn't even go there because the Holy Spirit kept asking me, how, how do you feel about yourself when you think about those things? 
What are the things, thoughts that come to your mind about yourself when you think about those memories? And as I sat there, I like complete disgust filled my whole being. I became so angry, I probably could have punched a hole in my wall. Like the feelings of self-hate I had for myself, because you were so freaking weak. You're so pathetic, you're so weak. How could you even let someone treat you like that for so many years? You're so weak. And it was like, I realized in that moment that maybe I do have to get through some other experiences of where I've have to heal from rejection of people, things that people have done to me. But what I actually realized in that moment, I hated myself. I had rejected myself. I had despised myself. And I, and I knew it was the voice of the accuser telling me that I was weak and I was pathetic and I was disgusting. But I, it, the stronghold I'd been carrying for over two decades, I could not bring myself to write, I forgive myself or say the words. Cause I knew if I even, even wrote it down, it wouldn't be real. Cause I didn't feel it. I was disgusted with myself. And this didn't just break in one day. I had to sit down day after day at the feet of Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to me until that spirit of rejection lifted off of my life. You know what we can't ever do is we can't, we can't hurry our hearts. We can't ever hurry our hearts. And I did that by how I was eventually able to break through. Every day I was just, I'd sit at the feet of Jesus and I would remind myself of the power of the blood of Jesus. And that he died for my sin, for my shame, for my healing. He died for it all and his grace was sufficient for me. And I had to continually remind the devil that I was completely washed clean, that he remembers my sins no more. And eventually those oppressive spirits lifted. And I haven't even gotten to the other parts yet. Like I haven't even started like dealing with all of the other stuff, but I know, I know I'm gonna deal with it and I know I'm gonna have victory, you know? And I know it's probably, I know it has to be hard for you, for some of you to hear that your pastor at Central Campus, the person leading you, had such deep issues that were undealt with. But I just, I have to be honest, I had no idea these things were buried beneath the surface. No idea. All I knew is there was a little bit of dysfunction in my life, but I never knew why. And so these things lay dormant in my life for 25 to 30 years. I'm now 42. And I'm just now at 42 realizing the broken parts of my heart. And I think no matter how long we're on a journey with Jesus, that we'll ne- we have to remind ourselves that we are never gonna be perfected on this side of eternity. And there, there should always be something that the Holy Spirit is working on in our hearts. If, if, if we're not being worked on, then we're not doing our job. We're supposed to be daily being perfected, becoming more like Christ. So what is he working on? What is he speaking to you about? And now seeing what was revealed, and now I'm healed and I'm, I'm committed to continually 
working to uncover anything that the enemy has tried to hide deep within my heart. And I, I have a feeling it might be a little bit of a longer journey than a shorter one, just saying. So if this is me in the bubble of the most unhealthy environment on the planet, could it be, could it be? that some of us in here may have also buried some things alive. And those things, we don't even know how they're manifesting and how it's wreaking havoc, because it's alive. Those things need to be resurrected so you can finally kill it once and for all. And so hear me when I'm saying this, like I love church and I think we should come every week. Six days a week, we're out in the world getting bombarded and wow, we need to come in and be encouraged, built up, inspired, praise God, connect with his people. I love church. But sometimes I think what we don't need is to just sit through another message. We actually need to sit in the presence of our heavenly father. Sit in the presence of our Heavenly Father and allow Him to heal our hearts, to make us whole, to restore our lives, and to free us from anything oppressing our lives. And on, so here's, I, oh, please don't let this be just another message that you hear and go, that was pretty good. I mean, I hope it was, but you know, don't. Don't just let it be another message. Like this was meant to help you just get to the place where you realize you may have some work to do and you owe it to yourself. You owe it to Jesus to be made whole and fully set free. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to your spouse. You owe it to your children, your children's children to break off these generational things that have been laying dormant in our hearts for decades. We owe it to ourselves. We are worth it to put in the work. And I know it's so much easier to ignore the pain, to bury the pain, because it was painful. I cried more tears in the last two weeks than I think I've cried in my whole life. I was so exhausted from crying. My son comes out and says, Mom, are you crying again? I'm like, yes, but I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Like, oh, it's, it's work. But we are worth it. And I wanna just give you some practical things that Mike Connell told me that helped me along this journey. So if you have a phone or a journal, this would be a great time to write these things down. The first thing, you don't have to go on a hunt to find out what's wrong with you. You don't have to. You don't have to try to hunt for things that are wrong with you. If you just sit and be intimate with the Heavenly Father, He's gonna reveal things to you when it's time. The second thing is to understand that it's a journey, not just a simple prayer. Third, thirdly, I found it helpful to just have quiet worship music on and nothing too distracting and rah-rah, but music that actually aligns your heart with heaven. And then just begin to pray in the spirit. Fourthly, just begin to journal. 
and begin to write down what emotions arise to the surface when you think through your past experiences. Because underneath those emotions are belief systems that need to be broken off of our lives. Fifth thing, we need to repent of anything that we need to repent of and receive forgiveness for it. Sixth, forgive yourself and anyone else who hurt you. And I think you'll know when you've been able to release forgiveness is when you're able to actually bless the other person in prayer. Seventh thing, you need to break off any agreement with demonic spirits that are oppressing your life. Number eight, once you've done that, spend some time encountering the love of God. Meditate on his word and what he says about you. And then after that, you spend some time renewing your mind in the word of God. What are his promises for you? How does he feel about you? How does he see you? We need to begin to see ourselves how God sees us. Because the cross and Jesus' blood that was shed for us didn't just remove our sin from us. It's supposed to remove the shame that was attached to those sins away from us as well. So I'm going to pray for everyone in a moment that may be realizing there might be some things underneath the surface, maybe some shame or guilt or condemnation that's been weighing on you that I want to help set you free from today. So I'm going to pray in a moment. But uh, again, this morning as I was just preparing and praying, I, I was just closing my eyes and praying in the spirit and I saw a vision of a person in a, a jail cell and they were holding onto the bars really tightly and their eyes were squeezed shut. And I saw the, the deputy come in and they say, all charges have been dismissed, you're free to go. And the jail cell is open. But this person refused to let go of the bars. It can't be, it can't be. I've done too many wrongs. It's like, it's like they were like, I need to punish myself for this. And they wanted to stay in the cell. They're like, you're free to go. There's no record of wrong. There is nothing, you, you don't need to be here. And you're like, yes, I do. I need to stay here and I need to feel the pain and punishment because I deserve it. And I just need to tell you today that you are free to go. You're free to go. You are free to be released from the guilt and the shame and the condemnation, the spirits of rejection and unworthiness that is holding you in that prison, keeping you from everything that God has for you out there. You are free to go in the name of Jesus. You're free to go. So before I say a general prayer over everyone, I wanna give people an opportunity to respond to Jesus. And I'm gonna share a story, one more probation story with you, and it's really heavy, so just be prepared. Um, again, I was preparing myself to go into this interview with the defendant in jail, and I was reading through the police reports. And there was this young man, early 20s, in the military on a ship. And he had gotten wind that his wife back at home, his bride, was having an affair. And so we convinced the psychologist on the ship that he was mentally unstable and that he needed to get off the ship. And so they sent him home. 
And when he arrived home, he confronted his bride on the unfaithfulness. And when he found out that the accusations were true, in a fit of rage, he strangled and killed his wife. And then standing over her body, feeling like, what have I just done? What have I just done? He actually then resuscitated her and brought her back to life. Only for later that night for the arguments to ensue again. And in another fit of rage, he killed her. And then not knowing what to do, needing to cover up his sin, he drove out to the desert and he buried his wife's body in the desert. But after three days, he couldn't bear the fact that his wife's lifeless body was in an isolated desert in the ground. And so he drove back out to the desert, dug up his bride's body, put her body in the car, and drove around for a few more days, completely distraught, suicidal, not knowing what to do. And the police actually found him in an attempt to commit suicide, and then he confessed that his wife's body was in the car. And as I was reading these police reports, I was so consumed with anger towards him. Here he is, this beautiful bride, early 20s, life completely snuffed out. I, lo I lost my sister when she was 19. And I, and I see the grief and the pain that my parents have to still manage, knowing that they're never gonna see their baby girl again. And I was so angry that this guy has, has done this, taken away a daughter. So when I, I had a plan, when I was gonna walk in there, what I was gonna say, I was gonna let him have it. I was so angry. And when I got in there with all that anger and emotion and I sat down, I heard the Holy Spirit's voice and he said, do you think I love you more than I love him? And then I heard it again. Do you, do you really think I love him less than I love you? And I'm like, well, I should hope so. <laughs> like, he's terrible. But then as I sat there and I began to hear graduate with honors, just incredible athlete, grew up in church, just, and he lost it. And he sat there looking into my eyes, just saying, can I ever be forgiven? Can I ever be forgiven? And he is just like weeping. He is mortified. His whole life is gone. He spent the rest of his life in prison. And then knowing what he's done to his bride and his family and her family, he couldn't even, he's like, I don't even want to live anymore. He's like, but I, I just want to know if I could ever be forgiven. And he said, I don't think I can. And I knew in that moment that God put me on that case. Because I think that was the first time in my whole life I realized like the depth of God's love. And that His love isn't based on our actions, but His character and who He is. And there is nothing we could ever do that could separate us from His love. And there's nothing we could ever do that could change His love for us. We have never lost it, so we never need to earn it back. We have it always, forever, 100%. And I was able to just share with him some scriptures. And I was like, sweetheart, you're gonna have a lot of time to read. And I said, I encourage you to read the Bible. 
front to back, but why don't you start with these particular chapters and scriptures? And I was able to give him scriptures to read and to reassure him that he would find in those scriptures that he is worthy of forgiveness, that he is worthy of redemption, that he is worthy of transformation and forgiveness. And I wanted to share that with you because I, I want you to know that there is nothing, there is nothing that you have done that God has not already forgiven. There's nothing you have done, nothing so terrible that could separate you from His love. And maybe there's some of you in here that only have maybe even today heard about His love for the first time or never thought that you were worthy of it or could receive it. But I wanna tell you, you are worthy of his love. If you were the only one lost in your sin and transgressions, he would have went to the cross just for you. He loves you so much. He loves you so much. He's such a good daddy God. And so I was I want to give people an opportunity to respond to Jesus this morning. So if you could just close your head and close your head, yes, close your head. Close your head from all the lies from the devil. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Thank you, Lord. If you're in here today and you have never surrendered your life to God, you've never received forgiveness for your sins, today is your day to do that. Or maybe at one point in your life you did that, but somewhere along the line you got off track and you wanna recommit your life to God today. You are here for a divine purpose. You are not here by accident, hearing this very unordinary message. So if that is you, you wanna surrender your life to Jesus and receive forgiveness or reconnect with Him while no one else is looking around, can you just lift your hand up nice and high so I can see you and include you in my prayer? Who are those ones? I see you beautiful in the blue, gorgeous. Up the back, yes, with the dark long hair. On the side, sir, I see you, yes, in the blue jeans. Yes, ma'am, I see you. And the jacket off to the side, yes. And on the front, I see you, yes. Three, yes, three of you ladies, four of you ladies right here on the front. And once I've seen your hand, you can put it down. Who else am I waiting on? I know God is moving so beautifully and powerfully in hearts. You wanna receive forgiveness today be completely washed clean and be assured that when your lifetime on earth is finished, you're gonna be spending eternity with Jesus in heaven. Who are those ones today? You want that assurance and that forgiveness. Is there anyone else? I see, yes, beautiful. Yes, right there. Anyone else? Beautiful. Well, I would love if everyone would just stand to their feet. We had so many amazing, brave people lift their hands, and I think we need to give them a huge round of applause for being so brave and so bold to surrender their lives to God. There were so many of you, and we're gonna pray a simple prayer, and the whole congregation's gonna pray that with you, but especially if you lifted your hand or you knew you needed to, you prayed this with all sincerity, and God is gonna enter your life and forgive you from all of your past sins and transgressions. Amen. Can we pray together? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the penalty for my sin on the cross. Today I declare 
that I am forgiven, that I am set free, that I am being made whole. Fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for saving me and for forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Quite a few of you who lifted your hand. I think there was probably 12 to 15 of you. And and you're saying a lot of times we usually pull people forward, but I right now I just actually feel here's the thing. You took the brave step to lift your hands. You know you need something to change. And we would love to help you do that. We want to give you a Bible. We want to give you a book. And if you need any prayer, we'd love to pray with you. We want to help you on this journey. And so if you know you need that next step. I would love if you would go see one of my friends after the service in the response lounge. So the most beautiful people in our church are gonna be waiting for you to love on you, to give you that gift. But now here's the thing, your transformation is actually in your hands. You can choose to take the next step or not. And we pray that you do, we pray that you do. Best decision you could have ever made. Let's give everyone one more round of applause. So grateful to God. So amazing. But now I want to pray over anyone who may be struggling with some of the things I shared today. You know you're forgiven in your head, but you have a hard time receiving the feelings of forgiveness, God's love and redemption. You've you've walked around heavy, feeling some guilt and shame and condemnation. And I think we're going to take the first step to break that off today. So if that's you, I just want to pray a declaration prayer for you. And I actually want you to repeat after me. So if that is you, I want everyone to pray this prayer. But if you know this is me, lift your hands to heaven and let's declare this together. Let's do this, church. We look to you, Jesus. Reveal to me any hidden or broken parts of my heart. Lord, take me on a journey of breakthrough and healing. Lead me. Guide me. Help me, Holy Spirit. Now, in the name of Jesus, I come against any oppressive spirits that have been hindering me or hiding beneath the surface. I expose you now in Jesus' name. I bind and I break every agreement with the enemy. I come against evil spirits, spirits of rejection, spirits of self-hate, You go now in Jesus' name. Now leave. You cannot stay in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, for freedom, for healing, for wholeness. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to C3SanDiego.com.